You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matt Brumfield. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, you are at the North Canton Chapel. You're not hearing a TED Talk. That's what someone joked that um, they looked like I was going to give a TED Talk or something. But, uh, yeah, so I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been on staff for a while, and it's a privilege and an honor that I get to be up here sharing the stage uh, that Brandon let me kind of tag in on this week. Uh, we've been going through Nehemiah, if you didn't know, and, it, and it's up there. And so uh, Nehemiah is actually personally one of my favorite books. And so I was so excited when like we sat and we said we we're doing this series. And then Brandon was like, well, do you want to take week three? And it was like this, yes. Um, and then I kind of realized what week three was, which was common enemy, which is kind of an intense week. And so I was like, you know what? It's okay, because um, I love this. And God's been speaking all through this. If you haven't been here with us, so week one was uh, of our Nehemiah series. Pastor Brandon right, kicked it off, and we learned that when God's power shows up, when our burdens line up. And so it's this idea of a common burden. And so Nehemiah, if you, if you haven't, so if this is like your first week here and you're just checking in, the whole story of Nehemiah is that, right, he had this burden. He saw that there was something not right, that Jerusalem was in crumbles, and so he prayed for months on end, and so he was burdened with this thing, and we were asked the question of, are our burdens worthy, are they worthy burdens to have? Last week, Pastor Brandon continued, and we learned that when we seek God's glory consistently, we will see God's vision clearly, and it's this idea of a common vision. Nehemiah was concerned about the things that God was concerned about, and today we're going to see, right, it started with this burden in prayer, and then this vision of this work to be doing, of rebuilding this wall that was in tatters. And so we're going to jump in today, kind of jumping over chapter 3, which is where the work takes place, into chapter 4. But as we start this, I want to help us understand, because I think when we think of wall and this idea of like building a wall, a lot of it probably has to do with like, I build a big wall to like keep others out, and this is, it's this huge like source of strength. And while this wall was still going to be a massive wall, the heart of this, hear this, and so we can understand it wasn't so much about the strength in this physical wall or its power to stand against enemies. The heart of it was about identifying Jerusalem as the city of God, about providing a sense of dignity to the Jews and restoring in them a sense of purpose. Identity, dignity, and purpose. And we're going to press into these because this week what we're going to see is that um, last week, Pastor Brandon kind of teased that there were these enemies, those that were coming against that were opposed to the work that was going to be done. They were insinuating, their words were filled with innuendos and flat out lies. They were attacking the identity, dignity, and purpose of the people of God. And what we're gonna see today is this relentless opposition that comes against Nehemiah and the Jews as they're seeking to step into this burden and vision that God has placed. There's opposition that comes against those who faithfully do the work that God has burdened them with. And there's a call to persevere through reliance on the God who is over all. 
And so as we dive in, we're going to be talking about the common enemy, and we're going to start first by like really zooming through the text, and we're going to see this enemy, that, this physical enemy that Nehemiah was, uh, was up against, and we're going to see how right, we have an enemy today, while most of us, right, last I checked, aren't out rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, right, there's an enemy that opposes those who step faithfully into what God has asked them to do. And that there is one who is at work in this world to stop the gospel from moving forward. And so with that, I just want to set some ground rules as we talk about this reality of our brokenness and our enemy. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, you can give the devil too much or too little attention. And so the first is that we are going to be real this morning with the wickedness and the evil and brokenness around us. But the second ground rule is this, is that there is a king named Jesus, who is over a wall. And what we sung this morning is that death was defeated, that there is new life. And so the victory in all of this, it's not about Nehemiah. It's not about the Jews. This is about Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who has defeated sin, defeated death and darkness. Nehemiah had a common enemy, and you and I in Christ have a common enemy but we have one who is greater than that enemy. Would you join me in praying? Father, as we dive into your word this morning, as we look at Nehemiah and the Jews and the work that they were burdened with, the vision that you placed, Jesus, I just ask that you would speak to me, that you would speak to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would just move, that we'd be open to hearing that which you have to say to us. Lord, I know that, that there are some in this room that they are in a battle right now. Jesus, I just ask that you would just defend them this morning, that whatever attacks that they are going up against, Jesus, that you would speak to them, that you would speak to all of us, that we would be faithful to do that which you have asked us to do. We pray this all in your holy name, amen. So we're gonna dive into chapter four and we're gonna run through this really quick. Um, and so like I said, we're skipping over chapter three, but if you get a chance Go back and read it. It's fascinating. Uh, I know sometimes you're going to read it and you're like, it's not. It's a list of like names and what they did. And sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we can think that like so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. But it's fascinating as Nehemiah kind of plans out and organizes and gives order to all the different people and groups rebuilding it. And it's everyone from like high priests to disgruntled residents to merchants to goldsmiths to perfumers to district rulers. And even like, I love this one, I was reading it and it was like a father and his daughters rebuilt this part. And it's just so cool. You see all these people, right, coming together, right, under common burden, common vision, okay? This story isn't just Nehemiah, like it's all of them coming together. And chapter four begins with the work that they are doing. And the way this is gonna run is it's gonna be really quick. There's gonna be part one in opposition, and then the response, and part two in opposition, response, part three, opposition, response. And so if you would, um, dive with me into chapter four, <clears throat> verse one. It says, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they are building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. 
So these first three verses, we see right, there's these words that are spoken by these two men that we heard about last week, okay, that these are words to mock. But if you actually dive into it, what they were doing is they were trying to undermine the very thing, the very identity of what Nehemiah and the Jews were doing. Right? These were words that sought to instill doubt. Right? They questioned. They said, you're too weak. Right? They questioned whether they had the strength to do it, their competence to do it. They said, it's not even worth your time. It's too broken. It cannot be fixed. Right? This burden and this strength that Nehemiah had gotten from God, right? all these things, these are the things that the enemy sought to attack. And, and I think as, what we're going to see in here is it starts with these words, and there's a saying that goes, we all know this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And what we're going to see, actually, is there's this reality of the way the enemy works is it starts with these words, and we don't realize it at the time, but there's these things, and the generation we live in today, we're constantly being fed voices that whether we recognize it or not, feed into our identity, our dignity, and our purpose as children of God. And we're going to continue to see this here. But note Nehemiah's response right now. <clears throat> Verse 4, Nehemiah responds as he's heard, as word has gotten back of what they are saying. And he says this. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. You see, Nehemiah's response to this is that of prayer first, followed by action to continue doing that which God has asked of him. All right? And these aren't mutually exclusive. I think sometimes there's this like, we're like, man, I just have to pray. And there are seasons, as we saw in, in week one, where Nehemiah prayed for months on end. But Nehemiah prays, and then he continues to do that thing which God has asked him to do. And it's this prayer, right, recognizing who he is, the, that he was, right, under attack from an enemy that sought to oppose that which God had asked him to do. And he recognized God as the sole source of deliverance and righteous judgment. It would have been easy for him to try and run back and say, well, maybe we just need to get the, the Persian king to write a better law to protect us. No, he prayed to the God who is above all, and then he continued to do the work. So we built a wall. It was to half its height, but the work wasn't done. Let's continue because the opposition does not let up. Verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So something happens here. Right before, it was just these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. What happens is they begin to recruit from those around that these, these other nations and tribes, those who otherwise would have probably been in tension against each other, have now rallied around this idea of Jerusalem, right, is moving out of the way things should be, right? They were against, they were against the Jews having any voice, any purpose, any dignity. 
So Nehemiah now finds himself surrounded. Samaria was to the north, the Ammonites were to the east, the Arabs were to the south, Ashdod to the west. They were cut off from the heart of the Persian Empire. Right? We learned week one how far of a travel it was from where Nehemiah was as cupbearer to the king. Right? This is this empire that spans. It's not like just hop in a car and drive like two hours and you're there and you're safe. They were cut off and surrounded by very angry enemies that rallied around a common threat to their systems. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And what we see here is the enemies coming together and they're plotting and seeking to cause confusion, and they're planning whatever it takes to destroy this work that is being done. So the question is, how will Nehemiah, how will the people respond? Verse nine. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. See, there's this theme in the way Nehemiah responds the way the people responds. He starts with prayer. Every time that there is something that opposes him, some fear, some challenge, he looks up and prays to the one that he knows is the source of all deliverance. But there's another thing that he recognizes that in that is he continues to do this work Now, it's done a little differently because it says they set a guard as protection against them day and night, but it's interesting that his action to these very real threats for his life, it wasn't to go on the offensive. It would have made sense, right, that, okay, an enemy is coming, an army, we need to stop rebuilding the wall, and we need to muster forces, and we need to go out and fight them. It's interesting to see that that Nehemiah's response to set a guard was not directly about, we want to fight these guys. It was that there is attack that could come, and we want to be ready, but we aren't going to let let it distract us from that thing which God has called us to do. It was a response of defensive so they could persevere through the original burden and vision. In church, we have to be careful in following God's call in our lives that we don't let the enemy lead us into battles that God isn't calling us to fight. Too often, we want to go into the offensive rather than being faithful, but being aware that there is an enemy seeking to destroy and saying, I am defending in case of attack, but I'm not seeking it out. Don't let the enemy distract us and say, we need to go out and fight all these things. What is that burden, that vision, right? Nehemiah saw that. The wall was the thing that was important to build, and he wasn't going to let the enemy distract him from that. But the enemy doesn't let up. Verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Three things happen here. See, the first is that those sowed seeds of doubt of the words at the beginning began to be undermined in those who are doing the work. 
right? There were these rumors and they began to like, maybe not believe, but it was this thought of saying, man, our strength is failing. It's too much by ourselves. We're alone in this, right? This, even this by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. It's this half truth of God's not in this with us. And so you see the people there were beginning to grumble and they're saying, maybe this is true. And you see the enemy is still up to it and they're saying, they're not gonna see us. We're gonna go in when, when they're unprepared and we're gonna attack them. The enemy schemes to attack and harm and destroy. And then there's this third thing that happens. It says over and over, there are those who are outside, not a part of the work, but they were feeling this pressure and they're saying, oh, like this is messing with us now. And it's just like over and over this relentless of saying, well, just return to us. If you just stop, just go back to the way things were, right? You're messing with the system. The people's voice began to be one that said, hey, you should just settle for safety and convenience rather than faithfulness and perseverance in that which God has asked you to do. See, church, the enemy schemes and twists Evil doesn't always manifest itself in certain darkness, but often shrouds itself in half-truths and feel-goods. Just because something isn't wicked doesn't mean that it is good. So how does Nehemiah respond when his people are beginning to believe that it's too much, when the enemy is plotting against him, when even those that you think would be on their side are saying, just give up, If you just stop, they won't bother us. Verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, church, hear this right here. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. See, something happens here, and if we kept reading, right, we see that there's this guard and there's this work. Nehemiah doesn't give up. He sets this guard and then like this is the most important part and if you don't hear anything else today, hear this, right? It's this call to look up, a call to remember. See, Nehemiah saw how quickly they had forgotten. In church, we do this. We have voices that speak around us all the time and we forget. We forget who God is. Throughout scripture, you see this over and over, right? The people of Israel, they forget the goodness of God. And how often do we do this too, where we sing a song in here on a Sunday morning and then Monday comes and those voices are loud and we forget because we stopped looking up. We stopped remembering the greatness of our God. And so the question in all of this, because I think we read it and we say, this feels encouraging, but for some of us, maybe there's a disconnect because we're not Jewish. 
We don't have armies that are plotting against us. We're not building, rebuilding a, a wall around the city of Jerusalem. And so the question is, like we read this text and we see the response of Nehemiah, so what, what do we learn from this and what do we do in response to this? You know, whether it's Nehemiah or throughout scripture, there's this reality that we see and the first thing we learn is this, is that we have a real enemy. There are the Sanballats and Tobias and there are those in this world and throughout this story of God's word, we see that there is a rebellion that is taking place. That there are those who've gone against God-intended ways that we live in this broken world. And we have a real enemy. That we are people who have gone against God from birth. The world is broken. That the hurts and pains that we experience are very real. And there is one who is scheming and plotting against all the things that that God is doing to redeem and restore to himself. The scripture talks about the reality of Satan, this created being who rebelled against God. We see this in 2 Peter and Jude 6. Jesus describes him as the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. In Genesis 3, we see him as the deceiver. Revelation 12 talks about him being the accuser of our brothers, that day and night before God, he accuses us. 1 Peter 5 says that your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That there are those in this world that want nothing more than for you to experience the goodness of Jesus. Because the second reality is this, is that we are in a real battle. God's intended ways were broken and we experienced that. I did not have to teach my two-year-old son to throw a toy in anger that hit his six-month-old sister this week, right? There's this something inside of us that when we look around our world, we see that things aren't the way they should be, that we are sinful, broken people, that we have been hurt by sinful, broken people, and we have hurt others around us. But there is a battle that is happening all around, in here, in your homes, in your families. Because the enemy wants nothing more than for you to settle for a safe and convenient Christianity. The enemy wants nothing more for us to become so distracted that we miss the burden and the vision that God is calling us to. The enemy wants nothing more than for us to believe that it's too much. Making much of Jesus every day to everyone is too much. How can I do it? You see, we sing about it because it doesn't stop with this reality of a real enemy or a real battle. Because we have a real savior. There is one who fights for us. It was the one that Nehemiah cried out to saying, this is the source of deliverance. We are not alone, we are not abandoned because there is a God who fights for us. Listen, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1. 
says, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, me, we, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. There's this reality. The enemy schemes and plots and wants to distract us, and sometimes it is in these physical moments where we feel a presence coming at us for our life. And other times it's voices that in and of themselves don't seem bad, right? But the people of Judah, when they're crying out, just come back to us, just stop the work. That was trying to distract them from being faithful to that which God had asked them to do. And it's easy to point out the Sanballats and Tobias. But the voices of those familiar to us, where we want to give in and say, you're right, it's too much. As long as I just write, just keep, just like, we can just be here and just do the temple on our own and not, not draw attention to ourselves. But church, there is a real battle that is happening. And there is a real savior that fights for us, but he's calling us to persevere in faithfulness, not to settle for what's convenient and safe. And maybe as we've been walking through this, there's something that the Holy Spirit has been stirring in your heart. Maybe there's this burden that you're like, I just keep thinking about this thing. Maybe God has begun to like speak into this vision of what it would be like for you to step into that space or that place. Maybe it's a space of injustice. Maybe it's this thing where right, you have a platform and you're like, well, what would it look like if I made this more about Jesus and less about me? And maybe you're scared. You see, when Nehemiah prays, it's not this prayer of I'm awesome and I'm not afraid and I have it all together. It's this prayer from the depths of him that's crying out to God and saying, God, we need you. And so church, the question for us first is do you know Jesus? Do you know the one who is above all? 
Right? In Colossians, we just read this. He is above every throne, every dominion, every kingdom that ever has been, ever will be in this realm, in the spiritual realm. Right? Jesus is above all. Do you know Jesus? He is the life changer, life giver. He is the one that makes the darkness tremble. That none can stand against him. Do you know him? Maybe you're in here and maybe you're in a spot where you say, I've heard this. Maybe you're saying, I don't know what to do. You may be in a battle that feels so overwhelming because you say, I sit here for an hour on Sunday, but the rest of my week, the voices that are screaming at me are oppressive, are hurtful, are overwhelming, and you say, yeah, sweet, good, but it's too much. There's three things I challenge for you. Pray up. God sees you, and he hears you. Are you crying out to him? Is that your first response? Look up. You know, we don't do like Bible studies around here and, and kids weeks and all these things because like that's the Christian thing to do. The reason we do these things is because we as a team recognize that there is a battle that is happening. And the world we live in, we are so distracted and drowned out from voices. And parents, we're guilty of this. When my two-year-old grabs an iPhone that doesn't work and sits because he sees that this is what mommy and daddy do. We are distracted from what matters most, Jesus. Are we praying up? Are we looking up? Are we reaching up? Are we crying out to God and saying, I need you. And with that, not just reaching out, because I think there's this fear, and it's this fear that maybe you feel like you're alone. That you have this idea that when you walk into these walls, that you have to have it all together. Right, I was asked this morning a lot of times, oh, how you doing? That's the question we all like to ask, right? How you doing? And our, our natural response is supposed to be good. But for a lot of us in this room, Maybe you're not good. I challenge you that, that maybe you've never felt safe enough to say, like, there's this brokenness, there's this thing, I'm overwhelmed. Man, you can fill out one of those prayer cards. We'd love as pastors of the team to, to sit with you and walk this with you. And maybe you're in here and you're saying, well, like, I, I am good. And so the three things I'd say is, first, what are you praying for? Are you praying for God to give you a burden that is bigger than yourself, a vision that is bigger than yourself? Are you praying, when you look around at this world, where does your hope lie in your prayers, and what are you praying? Are you praying for people who are in this real battle against real powers and forces at work against them? Are you praying against that, that they would know Jesus? Or are you praying for things to be easier so it can be more comfortable? And don't get me wrong, 
right? There's beauty in this reality of the freedoms we have in this country. But I ask myself sometimes, would I still be here if there was a cost to my physical life to walk in the doors this morning? And the question is maybe like, do I really just put hope in things that make it more convenient and safe for me to follow Jesus? Or do I recognize there's this real battle and that we, we rejoice in what God has blessed and given us, but do we allow it to step into those broken places? We're right now in this room, in this city, in this state that there are those that are in battles that they don't need laws to get out of them. They need Jesus. They need someone praying for them on their knees over and over because there's an enemy that is scheming and plotting to steal, kill, and destroy. Are you looking for those? And Nehemiah didn't just pray. He did something. So are we reaching for the places of brokenness that God has burdened us with? Are we reaching for that vision that God has placed on our heart? I don't want my kids to have a convenient, safe Christianity. I want them to be in awe of the God that can break the chains of sin, that can silence the fear of the darkness that when everyone else has given up hope, that Jesus is there and he says there is hope. That's the Jesus I want my kids to know. And that's the Jesus that I'm still getting to know. Because church, there is this reality of you and I, we are in this battle. And so a moment, I'm gonna pray for us. And there's this beautiful verse in Zechariah 14. It says this. It says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. And as we close, uh, we're going to sing one last song. But as I pray, I just challenge you that if God's been stirring something through this series... You know, will we be a people that do something about it? And as we pray, I want to pray specifically for those in this room that, that maybe, maybe you walked in here believing that there's this word that's been said about you. Because the enemy attacks our identity, our dignity, and our purpose. And so maybe you've walked in here and there's a word that speaks louder to you. But Jesus is one that gives new identity. And so I'm going to pray for us that we would be faithful to respond, not in fear. Jesus silences fear. That we can step here broken because we have a God who is rebuilder of the broken. That we can trust him with our abuse because he is a God who is restorer and healer.
that we can lay down our anger at the cross because he is the God who can give peace. That we can come to him with open hands if we feel abandoned and an orphan because he is a good father that says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Don't let the enemy distort what God says to you. You may be surrounded, but there is one greater that is fighting for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we cry out to you. Lord, if we've seen in your word today that there is this real battle that when we seek to step into the places that you have placed before us, that there are those who oppose that, that there are voices that seek to distract. And so Jesus, this morning I just rebuke in your mighty name whatever voices are speaking, and I just declare, Jesus, that you speak a better word. Oh, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just continue to speak in the hearts of your church right here. God, the burdens that you have birthed, the vision that you have birthed, Jesus, we just rebuke the enemy that is standing against him. Just declare, Jesus, that you are victorious, that there's no more fear, no more shame, no more guilt. Jesus, we rebuke that in your mighty name. Father, we declare that you are good, you are king above all, that there's no force that can stand against. Oh God, would you open our eyes to see, not just today, but tomorrow as we step back into the reality of what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday holds, that we would be people that pray up, that we look up, and that we reach up to you, Jesus. Lord, for the one that feels stuck in darkness. God, I just ask that you would just show them mightily this morning your power. That you would use us as a church, as a body to come alongside our brothers and sisters. That we'd stop asking, how are you doing? And start asking, how can I pray for you? That we would step into these places. That we'd say, Jesus, yes, I will. I'll lift you high above all else. God, you are so good. So, Father, we give you the rest of our morning. Jesus, we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.